and this is the Walk On Podcast. I'm Brent Faulkner. At the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, there's this interesting scene where Jesus goes to John the Baptist to be baptized. John takes Jesus under the water, and then Mark tells us that as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, a lot of times, pastors like me like to point to this verse as proof of the Trinity or proof of Jesus' claims to be the Son of God. I just want to set all that aside for a moment and ask a couple other questions. My first question is, who was that voice for? Was it for the people on the bank of the Jordan? Was it for you and I who would be reading this account some 2,000 years later? Or was it for Jesus? And the other question I have is, why was God pleased? What did Jesus do to please God? At least according to the scriptural record, up to this point, Jesus hadn't given a sermon. He hadn't healed anyone. He hadn't gathered any followers. He hadn't done much of anything in his ministry. It's actually this baptism that marks the beginning of his ministry. So before Jesus does any leading, any teaching, any healing, God the Father speaks his pleasure and his love over Jesus. And so I I wonder if this voice was meant for Jesus as an affirmation to let him know that everything that he was going to do from this point forward— all of his ministry, all the sermons, all the healings, all of the the challenges he would face, he would be doing it from a place of love and approval of his Father. You know, I I think when it comes to you and I, there, there are two fundamental postures from which we can live out our faith. We can live for God or we can live from God. And when I say that we can live for God, what I'm describing is the times that we put our energy and our actions focused on what we can do for God, right? The things that we do almost as a way to to prove our love and prove our devotion to God. It can be the things that we try to do almost to to prove our, our worth and our value. It could often come from an inward place of insecurity. Right, that we have to prove ourselves to God, to, to show him how much we love him, and to make ourselves worthy of all the things that he's done for us. So when you live for God, it's taking your own strength and your own energy and offering it before God, kind of as this sacrifice, this way to say, look, look at me, uh, look what I've done for you. And often when we live for God, if we're not careful, we can actually do things for God without God actually being involved. And we can even begin to do things for God, but do them in a way that's contrary to God's heart. But when we live from God, our energy and actions flow out of his presence inside of us. 
They flow out of his blessing and his pleasure, and they flow out of our identity in him. It comes from a place of abundance. We're not worried if we've done enough for God because we already know that we are enough. We already know that we are loved and we are accepted, so we don't have to do anything to earn that. So therefore, all of our energy and actions can flow from that. Do you see the difference? And the tricky thing is, is that both of those postures produce the same outward results, the same outward actions. So really, it's only you and God that knows the posture of your heart and what's motivating you in those actions. Am I doing this for God or am I doing this from God? Let me turn to some of Paul's writings to explain this a little bit more. As you read through Paul's letters, uh, you begin to see a pattern. Typically, the first half of the letters that he writes, um, he writes these theological truths. He begins talking about what's true about what Christ has done for us and who we are in him. He writes about our identity. And then the second half of the letter Usually he shifts and he begins to get really practical about the kind of lives that we are to live. And what can happen is if we don't understand the letter as a whole, we can jump to those ending instructions about how we're to live our lives and we can begin to see those as rules that we have to follow in order to, to live for God, in order to, to reach this certain standard. But when you take the whole flow of the letter in account, you begin to realize that all of those things are actually flowing from the truths that Paul had just unpacked. So let me turn to Ephesians to um, unpack this a little bit. Ephesians chapter 1, the first couple verses, Paul gives his greetings. And then in verse 3, he begins to unpack some of this truth about what Christ has done for us and how God sees us and who we are in him. He says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Now, I want to pause here for just a second. When did God love us and choose us? Was it, was it when you got your act together and cleaned yourself up? Was it when you said that you were sorry and changed your ways? Was it when you showed up to church and started reading your Bible? Was that when God loved you and chose you? No, it says even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Before you could choose God, God chose you. I think it's this truth that Paul wants us to understand that everything we do flows from the love that God has for us. Continuing on in the next verse, he writes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Listen, we're, we're not just absolved of our sins. We're adopted into God's family. We're not just pardoned. We're parented. We are chosen, brought into the family of God. And God doesn't do this begrudgingly, but joyfully. It gives him great pleasure. And Paul continues on with so many of these deep truths about what Christ has done for us and 
who we are in him. It talks about how we're forgiven, how we're adopted into God's family, how Jesus brings unity and peace, uh, how we are God's masterpieces. And then in the middle of the letter, right around chapter four, Paul shifts his focus. He says, therefore, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And then he begins unpacking all of these practical ways to, to live that out, and all of these instructions. But again, what Paul is saying flows from all of those truths that he had just unpacked at the beginning of the letter, that the way we live our lives flow from the truth. It's not something we have to do for God. We don't have to earn God's love or his acceptance. It's already ours. And so you can ask the question, am I doing this for God or am I doing it from God? And so we don't have to live for God. We get to live from God. We get to let his love and grace and peace and joy be the deep well we draw from as we interact with the world around us. You don't have to wonder if you've done enough. You don't have to wonder how God feels about you. And you don't ever have to owe God something. And you don't have to do anything for God. Instead, you get to live from his presence inside of you. And that changes how you live. Let me read those truths from Ephesians one more time. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Are you living for God or are you living from God? So as we wrap up, I invite you into just a moment of reflection and prayer. You may want to take a couple of deep breaths to help focus your heart and your mind in this moment. As we talked about, Scripture says that we've been adopted into God's family. It also says that we are co-heirs with Christ. And so that means that what is true of Christ is true of you because we are united with Him, Christ in us. And so the words that the Father spoke over the Son at His baptism are true of you as well. Want to imagine yourself hearing the words of the voice of God speaking over you. You are my child, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. You don't have to earn God's love, it's already yours. You don't have to prove yourself. You already belong. You don't have to wonder how God feels about you. You make him smile. Your greatest life flows from God's love. You are my child, 
whom I love. With you, I am well pleased.